Welcome to Animal Health Insights. This podcast was created to connect producers, veterinarians, and animal owners, and to introduce you to the people and the organizations who are working to support animal health in Canada. Our podcast is developed with the support of the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Todd. Let's get started. In 2019, a new bug on the block showed up in British Columbia, and an extensive effort was launched to locate and eradicate an intimidating non-native hornet species. You've likely heard of these Asian giant hornets as they were all over the news. A big wasp with strong stingers and the buzzy potential to harm native pollinator species and honeybees in Canada. Paul Van Westendorp, the provincial apiculturalist or honeybee expert for the province of British Columbia, helped to identify this species of wasp upon its discovery and, along with colleagues, worked to locate and eradicate a hornet's nest near Nanaimo, BC. He continues work to monitor for this insect species in British Columbia and joins me today to review the risks posed by this hornet and to tell us more about the collaborative response to this insect invader. Hi, Paul. Welcome to Animal Health Insights. Well, hi, and thank you very much for inviting me. So, these hornets have acquired some pretty intimidating slang names. What can you tell us about the Asian giant hornet species and these kind of scary monikers that they've got? Well, this Asian giant hornet is, uh, we call it here in Canada, the Asian giant hornet. And if you are following the U.S. media environment, then of course they are murder hornets. Here in Canada, we tend to be a little bit more, so we say, um, careful in the the phrasing that we use because they don't murder. Uh, These hornets are only generating a strong defensive response when their nest is disturbed, and that could possibly lead to some human fatalities, as it happens in Asia, in, in Japan particularly. But in itself, these hornets are flying around and foraging for food and do not go out to kill anybody. It's, it's a strong defense mechanism that they have. So we use the term Asian giant hornet. Can you tell me about the hornet itself? Like how big is it and where does it live normally? Well, the Asian giant hornet is uh, Vespa mandarinia, is the largest species of the genus Vespa. And there are approximately 20 to 25 different species that are primarily distributed throughout Eastern Asia. And Vespa mandarinia is the largest of the group. It has a sister species called Vespa soror, which is very closely related genetically, but that has a somewhat more southern distribution in Southeast Asia, extending into the Malay Peninsula, Indonesia, and also towards Burma and places like this. The hornets are basically apex predators. They are the largest of the bunch and are insect feeders. Interestingly enough, the adult worker hornet Uh, the forager, they're all female, of course. When they catch an insect, they cannot digest the food themselves. They have to bring this to the nest and regurgitate the meatball, if you will, give that to their larvae, to the brood that they produce in the nest. And the brood will then, the larvae will actually regurgitate partially digested material so that the adults can be fed that way. So it is a circular feeding pattern that, uh, that exists in these hornets. So the size of the insect, queens can grow as large as two and a half inches or five to six centimeters and with a wingspan of about seven centimeters. So you're talking about uh, something that is close to the size of a small hummingbird. They also make a very distinctly different sound. It's a very deep 
humming sound when they fly around, and uh, their sting is quite long. It, is, it has a stinging apparatus of about six millimeters, and therefore normal clothing does not provide uh, sufficient protection. It can sting repeatedly because it has a smooth dagger-like sting apparatus versus a honeybee which has a, but a harpoon-like structure. So the hornet can sting repeatedly and its venom contains certain enzymes that cause tissue necrosis. So you're dealing with greater injury than, uh, than what a normal honeybee or a conventional wasp would, would, uh, would create. And uh, these hornets, they don't do that on their own, but they, of course, get a number of their sisters involved. And so you will have a whole bunch of them going after the person that has, or the, the creature that has disturbed their nest. Uh, so they do pose a public health threat in case they will establish themselves here in, in British Columbia or in Washington state. I, I'd like to add, uh, if we can go back into the history of uh, the introduction of the Asian giant hornet here in Canada, uh, it was just by sheer coincidence that a ob sharp, sharp observing beekeeper in Nanaimo uh, on Vancouver Island and right in the city of Nanaimo noticed some unusually large insects uh, or hornets that were bothering his <laughs> colonies. And so he had the astuteness and quickness of catching them. And they were preserved, of course, and uh, they were carried over to me. And they were then identified as Vespa mandarinia. It was in the middle of August of 2019. This uh, resulted in uh, a comprehensive surveillance that was done in the area because in the subsequent weeks after this initial discovery, some other confirmed sightings were reported of, of some of these hornets eating fruits such as grapes and, and other fresh fruits. And clearly there was a presence of these hornets. And then in the middle of September, through the participation of a set of local beekeepers, it was quite a remarkable story how eventually a single nest was discovered in a central park right in, in Nanaimo and uh, was then subsequently destroyed. It is worth mentioning that the Asian giant hornet, this particular species, is a cavity nester and prefers to build its nest in the ground, preferably uh, on, on sloped surfaces to reduce the risk of flooding, but it also occasionally constructs its nest in, in hollow trees or in rock crevices. It is the proximity to the ground, if you will, uh, that has caused this particular insect to develop this remarkably strong uh, defensive impulse when the nest is disturbed. When a hornet is just flying around foraging for food, it will avoid uh, conflict and it will not bother us whatsoever. But if an, an unsuspecting person is just walking along on a, a trail in a forest or uh, wildlife or cattle, livestock, and happens to be uh, disturbing the entrance of such a nest, then, of course, you will have an, a problem on your hands. And what risk do these hornets pose to native pollinator species in Canada? We do not know. Native pollinators, you perhaps would refer them to bumblebees and, and a wide range of other hemonopterans, uh, pollinators. We don't know really the ecological impact that it will have in case the Asian giant hornet will establish itself here in Canada. And I should point out, most of Canada will not be suitable for this particular hornet to live in. 
It, it is an, a forest-dwelling insect that prefers maritime forests with lots of moisture and heavy undergrowth. So the farther you go into the interior of the province of British Columbia, the environment is not very attractive, and certainly the prairies are very unattractive for them. Eastern Canada could possibly be a suitable environment, but uh, that's a long way to travel for them. So the impact that it will have is if they manage to establish themselves in coastal British Columbia and, and Washington State, it may have a local impact. But we have some serious doubts about this at this time. You mentioned that it was perhaps a bit questionable as to whether these particular hornets might establish themselves in coastal British Columbia. But there are some other non-native hornet species as well. Did they pose any risk to other pollinators in Canada? And have many of them been found in Canada? <laughs> well, there's a multitude of questions here. First, the Vespa mandarinia, the Asian giant hornet. There are a couple of things to consider in terms of its ability to establish itself here in coastal North America. The problem is, is that in its native range, it deals primarily in an environment that is comprised of deciduous vegetation. Out here in coastal British Columbia, we have predominantly evergreen forests, and it is therefore it's the fauna on which it will have to prey may not be very suitable for it, or the density of it may not be sufficient. The other thing that must be considered is, is that we believe that so far there have only been single introductions and under normal circumstances the life cycle is such that the insect will, the nest will slowly expand in size until late summer and it is not until late summer where it is in need for a lot of animal protein to generate its reproductives. Prior to that, the nest has only workers and an egg-laying queen. So in the late summer when they start to, to predate on, on other insects, that is when they pose the risk to honeybee colonies. Now, we are quite confident that beekeepers are a savvy lot and know how to, uh, to put in all kinds of devices and restrictions that will make it difficult for these insects to gain access to the, the bee brood. That is what these hornets are after. Uh, so beekeepers are quite innovative. These, these hornets are so large, they have an oversized head and shield-shaped head that makes it difficult for them to crawl through very narrow spaces. And so beekeepers have already designed various barriers that will make it very difficult for them to, to gain access to these hives. So when such a hornet colony will manage to get sufficient animal protein, it will then be able to produce these sexually maturing offspring, virgin queens and, and males. And under normal circumstances in its natural range, these males and those virgin queens will disperse in the local environment seeking other mates and will then successfully mate, hopefully, and then uh, the males die in the process, and a few of these mated queens will seek a winter hiding place, and hibernaculum, in which it will hide by itself until next spring, and then it will attempt to start a nest on its own. Now, under the current circumstances that we have found so far, and we work very closely with Washington State, so they have in total now a grand total of three or four nests destroyed, and all of them were DNA sequenced and were found to be highly related. In other words, they have all originated from a single introduction. 
which means that these mated queens are very likely to have mated with closely related males, in other words, with brothers. <laughs> and this perhaps explains somewhat that it has been noted that these uh, uh, virgin queens and those males often fight with each other quite aggressively, and uh, that would suggest that, that uh, uh, these virgin queens are not particularly receptive to the amorous advances of their brothers. So the point what I'm trying to get at is just that we are dealing with an essentially with a genetic bottleneck and that doesn't pose well for the uh, for the population to be thriving and establishing itself in the future. There is another uh, major uh, issue to to deal with is is that humans are very intolerant to the presence of these Asian giant hornets and so these hornets when they establish themselves and a nest is discovered there is a guaranteed outcome, and that is that the nest will be destroyed. So we have an awful lot of uh, challenges that these hornets face to eventually become an, a permanent resident here on the West Coast. Now, you mentioned about some other species of Vespa, and the one that is of particular concern to us is uh, Vespa velutina. And there are different names used, common names used for this particular uh, species that also originated f from Asia. This particular species was introduced in Europe, uh, in Bordeaux, uh, in France in 2004, and has spread ever since. This is a smaller hornet compared to Vespa mandarinia, but its predatory behavior is quite different. And it hunts very effectively uh, on the wing, so to say, and it has proven to be very destructive to honeybee colonies. The Europeans have now spent well over 20 million euros, or let's say 28 million Canadian dollars, to eradicate this pest, and the pest continues its spread. The worry is uh, that with the frequent shipment of goods and, and, and materials uh, across oceans, uh, that Velutina may at some point be introduced to the east coast of North America, and that habitat out there will be ideal for Velutina to spread, and will perhaps cause far more uh, damage or, or greater threats than the Asian giant hornets here on the west coast. Uh, so we are quite concerned about this, and we have been consulting with the federal government as well as with our friends in uh, south of the line out here to be prepared and build contingency plans for dealing with the possible future introduction of Vespa velutina. I, I like to add to this uh, that if, if here the West Coast is a good example, in May of 2019, an unusually large insect, a hornet, was collected in Vancouver Harbor, and this uh, ended up at UBC, where it was uh, appropriately uh, diagnosed and was identified as uh, Vespa soror. It is, again, that sister species of Vespa mandarinia. What it tells us is, is that the introduction of these kind of hornets in different or parts of the world is, happens more frequently than generally anticipated. So we, we believe that there are definitely some threats in future introductions of these insects. It's pretty interesting thinking that they're all, you know, similar, <laughs> similar looking, I guess, perhaps to the general, to the general public's eye, but all different species and all with different um, tactics for, for hunting, I guess. That's pretty interesting too. That's correct. Now, Paul, I know that you are a professional honeybee expert. 
So can you explain then why, it, when all of this started, why were you personally brought in as part of the, I guess, identification and eventual eradication efforts for the Asian giant hornet in British Columbia? Well, within the order, the hemenopterans to which all the bees, wasps, and hornets belong, there are some very similar behavioral patterns and life cycle uh, patterns that are very, uh, shall we say, common among all these hemenopterans. More importantly, their behavior is often quite comparable, particularly when we are dealing with defensive behavior. If you are not familiar with stinging insects, and particularly with honeybees uh, most often, but other insects as well, it would not be very advisable to have anyone come and deal with the Asian giant hornet. Even though I have been around bees, I mean, I was introduced many, many <laughs> to, to bees many decades ago. When uh, I had to deal with that nest in Nanaimo and some of these uh, stragglers that were still uh, flying around out there, there is no question you have to willfully suppress your instinctive response of fear. These are intimidating insects, and the last thing we need is some cavalier attitude of some person who will be dealing with something he or she doesn't know how to deal with. It is just basically by uh, primarily f the, the familiarity that, that I, that beekeepers have with stinging insects, that that will make it possible for them to, to, you know, that we can deal with these insects in case we do find an, a nest and we need to go through an eradication process. Who else, in addition to yourself, would be involved in the management of new or invasive or potentially invasive insect species in Canada? Well, in Canada, that is a broad term. I cannot speak for other provinces, but here in British Columbia, I have uh, an inspection staff distributed throughout the province. And uh, in case we find a nest to deal with, I will work together with my staff to basically deal with the eradication procedure. We do not invite uh, the media. We do not announce what we are doing. We merely inform the landowner of what we plan to do. And it is only after the fact, so to say, uh, that the media will be, uh, so we say, will be informed. We don't want to have a circus around something that could potentially be problematic. So we do these things all quite um, discreetly and quietly. And I have the staff to, uh, to deal with this successfully. Could you describe the timeline of the eradication efforts that occurred in BC once these hornets were first noted? The, the Nanaimo case is actually the only nest that has ever been found in British Columbia. So in 2019, uh, based on the observation of uh, and sightings of a few specimens uh, by beekeepers and the public, basically we plotted that on, on a map. Uh, through triangulation, we kind of narrowed down the area where such a nest was most likely to exist. And this, this procedure proved successful, and so the nest was, was identified. Uh, again, it is important that uh, a cluster of site, verified uh, sightings or, or collections of specimens is a key component to the process of locating nests. So in the middle of September of 2019, the nest was identified. And of course, you don't deal with 
eradication procedures until it is dark because these insects do not fly in the dark and of course in the daytime it's far too dangerous to uh, to embark on an, on an eradication process. It was in the dark when this was done. The procedure that, that was employed at the time, because we were dealing with a completely different insect, of course, that we had ever dealt with before, essentially a uh, CO2 canister was used to blast CO2 into the uh, ground nest that would stun the uh, population temporarily. And then uh, we had a, a bucket with alcohol and the specimens were then quickly transferred over and dumped into the alcohol. Um, and that procedure took some time and eventually the nest was totally uh, removed and approximately 200 specimens were eventually collected. Uh, it is fortunate that uh, out of all the specimens that were collected, there was a queen, but no uh, further sexually matured offspring was discovered. So in other words, it was still early enough in the fall season uh, where this nest had not progressed to the point where it had started to produce its reproductives. And we thought that everything was said and done and that was the only event of this particular hornet. And then to our huge surprise, in November of that same year, so in November of 2019, suddenly an specimen, a single specimen was collected uh, in uh, White Rock. Well, White Rock is just south of Vancouver, very close to the Canada-US border. Three weeks later, in early December, two specimens were found in Blaine, which is just south of the border in, in Washington state. Um, this really was uh, a monkey wrench, if you will, in our uh, projections, because we had never figured that uh, um, that these hornets would have also been introduced on the mainland. And this necessitated to, uh, uh, to, uh, for both Washington State and out here in British Columbia to start uh, developing some very comprehensive uh, surveillance in, uh, along the border in the Fraser Valley uh, to determine whether or not this pest had established itself. Um, the problem with, with these hornets is that they are very difficult to find. Uh, keep in mind that you know, uh, they function in their particular, uh, in the environment as an apex predator. Uh, so, and by definition, apex predators may be f fearsome and, and potentially dangerous, but there are, even in their natural environment, there are only very few of them around. Uh, you know, it is the equivalency of the polar bear in the Arctic. Uh, there are only very few of them around. Mind you, if you happen to run into one, uh, there is definitely some risk involved. Likewise, the uh, Asian giant hornet is, a, is an apex predator and because of its nesting uh, behavior by nesting in the ground, it is exceedingly difficult to find these nests. And it is for that reason that we have approached this entire survey program in 2020 and 21. Um, and again, we will do this again in 2022, this year. Um, we, uh, we rely very heavily on the public to report to us uh, uh, any unusual sightings, uh, and preferably with uh, photographic evidence. And since so many people 
today walk around with a cell phone, they can then uh, submit an, an image of the insect and then we can promptly identify it uh, whether or not there is any further uh, issue to uh, to pursue. And so far, uh, this has proven to be a very effective strategy because we basically use the public's eyes and ears, if you will, to help us locate these, uh, these hornets. And uh, the results have been very promising. Uh, we have found very little evidence of the presence of uh, the Vespa mandarinia here uh, on the mainland. And I'm happy to report that uh, Vancouver Island, uh, we have done extensive surveys in 2020 and 21, uh, but not a single verified sighting or collection of a specimen has been uh, has taken place in on Vancouver Island since the eradication of the nest in September of 2019. And this means that we can now officially declare Vancouver Island uh, and the Gulf Islands free of the uh, Asian giant hornet. If these hornets were to reappear in the future, or if the eradication efforts don't work as planned, what would happen if these hornets became part of the pollinator community in British Columbia? Well, they will not pollinate, but they will be part of the of uh, the local environment, the ecosystem, if you will. And again, uh, they will probably predate on insects that they find, on prey that could range from, you know, bumblebees, but also from, to June beetles, to all kinds of other larger insects that they, that they prey on. I, I should also point out that they actually are, because of their formidable uh, mandibles, their mouth parts, they, uh, in the springtime, they uh, collect plant juices. They pierce, the, even from small trees, the bark, and they lick the sap of, of trees. Typically, they're after carbohydrates, and in that way, they, they get fuel in the stomach, so to say. They include the, the predation on other insects. How successful they will be on this, we just don't know. They will be an ongoing public health concern, and that is the reason why uh, human predation on this population will be pretty severe. The Americans, just our friends just south of the border, have a greater concern, and that is, is that uh, these hornets that have been found there may eventually migrate southward into uh, southern Washington state and Oregon state uh, because there are no natural barriers uh, to speak of. Here in British Columbia and eastward, we have all these formidable mountain ranges, which will make it very difficult for these insects to spread through and over. So it's, uh, uh, that's why the Americans put in a lot of effort to make sure that this pest is not going to go any further than what it is. Are there any theories then as to how these hornets arrived in Canada? Do we know exactly where they came from? Well, that is interesting. We are quite confident, of course, that they came from Asia. As you may recall, I mentioned about Vespa Soror in May of 2019, that single specimen. Then that was, of course, the specimen that and the nest that was found in, uh, in Nanaimo, and then uh, the other ones in the United States. I, I like to point out that the specimens that were collected from Nanaimo were sequenced and were found to be of Japanese origin. The ones that were collected in Blaine, in Washington State, a few months later, had a Korean origin. Now, 
I, I don't want to fix that too strongly because it seems that, you know, there is quite a bit of, of overlap in those subspecies in its native range. So uh, the level of confidence that we have to say that the ones in Blaine were definitively your Korean, while the ones collected in Nanaimo were definitively Japanese, that is perhaps not ironclad. But I think what is important, that there was a sufficient genetic difference to confirm that we were dealing here with separate introductions. And again, if you refer again to the other one, which is the Vespa Soror, you're talking about unsteady introduction of these kind of species onto the west coast of North America. And clearly, the overwhelming likely form of introduction has been through ocean freight ships that maritime uh, introductions so we bring in so many goods uh, and materials that bulk shipments vehicles that are ideal for these hornets to hitch a ride on yeah we believe that there will be future introductions of these particular species there's no question we just have to start looking for them seriously and prevent them of establishing themselves here So I'm curious, Paul, as to how this invasive species monitoring and surveillance work balances out with the rest of your career in apiculture. Was it part of what you um, expected when you when you first got into raising bees and were involved in the honeybee industry? (laughs) No, (laughs) I was introduced to bees about 60 years ago. Yeah, I date myself now terribly, but notwithstanding, you know, Uh, The bees have always fascinated me both from an agricultural and from a biological or environmental uh, angles. It is a fascinating field to be in. I'm well past the age of retirement and I kept going or decided to stay on in order to also deal with this particular file of the Asian giant hornet. I thought it was far too interesting to walk away from that and go and retire and let somebody else have the fun and the challenge to deal with this particular uh, pest. It is a fascinating field and it continues to be that way. And so, yeah, I never would have expected to have been deal- to be dealing with the Asian giant hornet, but that's what it is. Most of my work deals with still with the, the honeybee as well as some of the other uh, native pollinators such as bumblebees and osmia bees and a variety of other things. Finally, just so we can ensure that everyone has the correct information, perhaps, Paul, you could once again provide just a bit of a description of the hornet itself as to what it looks like. And then if someone, a gardener, a beekeeper, or a member of the public, Uh, thinks that perhaps they've seen an Asian giant hornet, please let us know uh, what they should do and who they should get in touch with, because I I don't want to accidentally inspire anyone here to attempt to manage these insects themselves. As mentioned earlier, the Asian giant hornet is a huge insect. There is no wasp that is as large as this one. There are, of course, many other kinds of wasps that have certain similar appearances. And the most common one that people freak out about is the horntail, which is native throughout North America. And uh, that is a very cylindrical, uh, long-bodied wasp uh, with a small head, but it has very similar coloring. And most uh, intimidating is the fact that it has a set of needle-like appendages at the tail end, which people think is, of course, a stinging apparatus. But in reality, this apparatus is actually an ache 
laying apparatus, an ovipositor that it uses to, uh, to lay its eggs. It is totally a harmless insect, a solitary insect. In other words, it doesn't live in communal nests. It's on its own and it's totally harmless. But people uh, report this widely. The, the Asian giant hornet uh, is so far only limited to the west coast of North America, and I don't think that in Ontario or in any other parts of Canada uh, it is likely to ever be found. Having said that, and quite a number of uh, Ontarians and people in eastern Canada have been submitting interesting images to us uh, for identification purposes. And some of them were remarkably close to the Asian giant hornet in terms of image, not in size or anything else. One of the things that is often reported or issued or asked about what this is, is another hornet that is originating from Europe, and that is called Vespa Crabro. And uh, Vespa Crabro was introduced in the late 1800s, into North America, and this particular large hornet uh, has established itself along the eastern seaboard throughout Canada and the United States, and, but ha it has behaved itself very well. It has fitted itself very comfortably within the ecosystem, and uh, it has not posed a serious threat to the environment out there. But they're quite characteristic in their coloring and, and, uh, and so on. So often people in eastern Canada think that they are dealing with this massive, uh, with this large hornet and think that this is the Asian giant hornet. Well, the Asian giant hornet is much larger than that. So, but that is another species. It is the only European representative of the genus Vespa, and that is then Vespa crapro, uh, which is naturally occurring in Europe. The uh, Asian giant hornet Again, its size is, is formidable. Most people, if they have a chance to photograph it, that is by far the most helpful thing for us because identification can be then very prompt with uh, the photographic image and we can then reassure people that uh, everything is safe. This is a very effective system. We have a number of websites made available. And uh, in 2020, for example, I probably dealt with hundreds of, of reports of all kinds of insects. And I must admit that certainly uh, challenged my uh, taxonomic skills. I had to get back into the old school books in order to, to help me identify some of these insects. And, and I must say that I applauding people that are uh, sufficiently interested and concerned uh, to participate in such a process. The public's participation is key to our ability to deal with this uh, potential pest if it, uh, while it tries to establish itself out here. So essentially, just to summarize that a little bit, if someone suspects, I guess most likely in British Columbia, uh, but if once someone suspected that they found or saw an Asian giant hornet, the best option would be for them to take a picture and send the picture to you. Is that right, Paul? That's exactly it. And that would be by far the best thing. There are a whole bunch of people that are involved with, with the identification of it. It is not just me, but uh, a number of ministries and organizations are involved with this enterprise because there are many other insect pests that pose a threat to uh, to agriculture or to the environment. And so there are quite a few entomologists involved in helping to uh, identify some of these insects. And that works very effectively. Thanks so much, Paul, for joining me to discuss the Asian giant hornet and this extensive monitoring and surveillance work that you've done. 
to manage the incursion of this insect in British Columbia. Thank you for having me. Thanks. We'll share some of the photos that you kindly provided, as well as some links and articles that relate to this work and to the Asian giant hornet on our website at kaz.ca. Thanks for tuning in today. The Animal Health Insights Podcast is a production of the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System. CAS is a division of Animal Health Canada, and it has broad-based support from livestock sectors and government. CAS brings together data and information from across Canada in order to demonstrate animal health and to guide planning on national animal health priorities. Effective disease surveillance can demonstrate the health of our animals, and it enables prompt action to minimize the negative impacts of disease. Funding is provided through the Agri-Assurance Program under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a federal-provincial territorial initiative.